So last week we continued on in the book of John and chapter 1, we're still in chapter 1, and right now we looked at Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world last week. And we saw in that one sentence so much. We reflected on how the people of that time would know the sacrificial lambs that would be taking place at that time. We looked at Abraham and Isaac. We looked at Leviticus and the times that the lamb would be sacrificed. And the lambs of that time, they were prepared for the sacrifice and they had one purpose. And that purpose was to die. They were born to die. Then we have Jesus who comes as the sacrificial lamb. And this one verse encapsulates the entire essence, the entire purpose of his coming. To take away the sin of the world. And notice it's not sins. We looked at that last week. It's sin. It is all the sins as one heavy mass placed upon the word became flesh for me and for you. Jesus coming as a man for one purpose alone, to die. Now, it's August, so that means in a few days, weeks, all the Christmas decorations are probably going to be on sale at stores. And before you know it, we're going to be pondering Christmas. And everyone loves that special Christmas sermon. We get to come listen and hear about baby Jesus, and it's so great. And we're shopping and checking off our lists of all the things we need to get for people. But we forget it's a little baby born to die. In Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We can look at all Jesus does. We see the physical healings. We see the miracles. We see the teachings, all fantastic and wonderful, but nothing truly in comparison to his primary reason. He came to bear our sins that we can have new life again. So Christmas, yes, it might not seem like it's right there, But already, I'm going to challenge you, start preparing your hearts to approach Christmas this year differently. Don't just think about the birth of Jesus. Ponder his birth and the cross together. Because for us as believers, for us who believe and receive and become children of God, it's all one. For he was born to die. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, our charge last week So middle school folks who are in here now, at the end of sermons, there'll generally be a charge. It's a few things that you can think about during the week from the message. And you see, my prayer with that is that every single one of us in this church, every single one of us isn't a passive Christian. And in light of today's message called to follow, I don't even want us to think of ourselves as Christian, but think of ourselves as followers of Christ. And to follow him, we need to ponder, we need to chew on his word. Think of what we saw in Psalm 1, meditate day and night. So from that charge, you will be given it, and it's an application, teens, to help you be doers of the word. Now, you see the application, you struggle? Again, talk to family, talk to me, Christina, Pastor David, Pastor Jeff, elders, elders, wives. You've got an army of people in this room who are Jesus' followers and lovingly eager to help you grow on your journey. Can't stress that enough. And guess what, teens? Take the risk to go up to somebody that you already talk to regularly and say, hey, did you think of the charge last week? What did you do with that? And you're sharpening them too. That's how we be the church of all ages. Amen? So all to say, Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill, 
we're an army here. And we're an army for God. And in that, we need to refine each other. We need to check in with each other. Home group leaders, I'm going to be sending an email out to you with the charge each week so that you can bring it to the home groups. You can go over it. You can review it. You can look at it. So right now, homework check. Let's see how we did. Did you ponder, in light of, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, did you take time to ponder, is Jesus enough? Do you rest in who he is, or do you add because you've yet to build that discipline to relish in the word of God alone? Second, what is your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Luke 9, 23, we read, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Remember, saints, to do that, we need to be filled with his spirit, and we need to seek that filling daily. Because it's only through his power that we can deny ourselves. Because he must increase. We must decrease. We need to be weak and yielded to his power alone. And last check. Did you tell someone, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Did you tell someone, can I tell you about the Lamb of God? Did you share Jesus with anyone this past week? This one I'm going to be pressing us on more and more. Share who he is. Share who he is in your life. Be that bridge that people can walk over to know Jesus. Remember last week, we pondered the movement our church is a part of. We talked about the dove because we saw the spirit. And we remembered it's about the word alone, sticking to that, and then his spirit doing the rest. Saints, may we be a body of believers on fire and hungry for the word alone. The word alone. Then we can be all that he needs us to be. So today, we continue on in chapter 1. Stand with me now as we read these verses, 37 to 43, with a message entitled, To Follow. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill me with your power, enable me to get out of the way to be your vessel for your people here in this place today, that they would receive what you need them to get, Lord God, that they would hear what you need them to hear, Lord, unto salvation, unto conviction, unto growth, to be your hands and feet and salt and light in this world and in their lives, for your glory only. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, the title, To Follow. When you think of following Jesus, what do you think of? When you think of being a follower of Jesus, what do you think of? My favorite dictionary, 1828 Webster's. When we look up the word follow, we see there, to go after or behind, to pursue, to accompany, 
to attend in a journey, to be of the same company, to come after, to pursue with the eye, to keep the eyes fixed on a moving body, to imitate or copy, to pattern or model, to embrace, to adopt and maintain, to have or entertain like opinions, to obey, to observe, to practice, to act in conformity to, to pursue as an object of desire, to make the chief business, to be guided by, to adhere to, to side with, to move on in the same course or direction. Imagine if you apply all that to Jesus in your life. To follow. All of those, to follow. Now in verse 35, we had saw that last week. It's the next day. And John has two of his disciples following him. And he remains consistent, pointing them to Jesus, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. A brief reminder to us to be consistent in our words and pointing people to Jesus. Not a book, not our emotions, Jesus. And then we see verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed him. They hear him, they follow him. And we could move past that, but it's something important for our culture today, and we need to remember in a church culture that's so me-centric, look at what's going on here. First, they hear John speak. What did he speak? Behold the Lamb of God. When they hear that, and they would have been with him, and they would have been hearing of Messiah to come, what do they do when Jesus is now in their presence? They follow after Jesus. Jesus is walking by them. John points to them, and they follow. What did John present? Jesus. Who is Jesus? The Word became flesh and dwelling among us. Who is the Word? The Word is the preexistent God of creation. What does all that mean? We may need to. Remain pure to the clear direction of pointing people to Jesus and Jesus alone. When someone's drawn to you, how do you handle it? When someone's following you, how do you handle it? Who do you follow? Do you keep them focused on you or do you point them to Jesus? Now, if you point them to Jesus, is it the Jesus of your emotions and will and Christian ease or is it the Jesus of Scripture and the word of God alone. We need to be that narrow and focused on that in the culture we're in, where it's coming in so many different forms. It's essential we stay pure and simple. Jesus, Jesus alone. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Youth, many of you have social media. Who do you follow? Who are they pointing you to? Be real and think about that. The social media that you have, are they pointing so that you look to them more, or are they pointing to God? All of us can take stock of that. Verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? Jesus turns. Jesus sees them. He sees that they're following and he says, what do you seek? Now I love this. Jesus knows all. We know this. He's preexistent. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He already knew they were following before he even turned around. 
Yet John gives us these details because the pre-existent God who knows all also cares about our growth and he will always ask the question. Jesus doesn't just see them. He sees them following. They're following him. And now he says, what do you seek? It's a simple question, but when we really ponder it, when we dig in it, when we go deeper, it's a question we all have to ask ourselves every single day. What do you seek? The question can be read simply, but think about how it penetrates to the core of what Jesus is asking in this moment. For us with the word of God, it's one of those moments we get to see the living word be that double-edged sword. Because when we have to ask ourselves that question, what do you seek? He's going to discern our thoughts and the intents of our heart. What do you seek? For them, he's saying, what do you seek? Are you looking for a revolutionary leader to overthrow Rome and woo, we're in power? Nope, go find some other group. That's not why I'm here. For us, for you sitting before me right now, what do you seek? What are you looking for? What are you living for? Who are you living for? What are you searching for? Be real and seriously ask that question to yourself. What do you seek? Originally, when we were looking at moving forward, I thought, oh, good, today we'll probably finish chapter one. And then I got to that question and I said, oh, no, we're not going there. And I knew the youth group, that's when they'd be like, yeah, we're never going to finish this book. I'll be retired by the time we finish. (laughs) But the reality is, what do you seek? What are your motives? Why are you here today? If Jesus was here right now, looked you in the eyes and said to you, what do you seek What would your answer be, knowing this question is coming from the God of creation who already knows your heart? He already knows the reality. What would your answer be? Because in it, we need to purge ourselves of what we're doing for motives outside of knowing Christ alone, glorifying Christ alone. When you aren't here, when you aren't in this building, at this church, with this lovely body of people, what do you seek? If someone took inventory, uh, inventory of your life, took inventory of your thoughts, would it reveal a heart of a person chasing after God? What would it reveal? Because we have to understand something. In that question, what do you seek? What you seek becomes your focus. And that focus then becomes what you live for. Now, it's never bad to want to excel and grow at your work. To to be the best you can be. You want to do that to honor God. But is that your primary focus or is Christ? As you make that post on social media, what do you seek? As you sit and watch TV with your free time, having never spent any time with the Lord at all during the day, but you're tired from work, so you need to sit and watch TV, what do you seek? As you do X, Y, or Z, what do you seek? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Take inventory. Take stock. What do you seek? Their answer, the second half of verse 38. They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? First they say, Rabbi. That in and of itself, that word would point something out important. Now, in that you see that you have the parentheses that come, which is to say when translated, teacher. Go back to our very first intro to the book of John. And we know the purpose of this gospel is that all would believe. So these Hebrew phrases are going to have translations coming from the author of this book, John, so that people don't miss anything and have a chance to believe. So he gives the translation there, rabbi, which means teacher. This title is given out of respect. It's title given to one to show I submit to your authority as master and knowledge of the things of God. They first say, rabbi. There's a submission right away. Then they say, where are you staying? Now, in our world today, that might seem weird. You don't go up to somebody and say, hey, what's up? What's your address? That seems a little bizarre. But what's actually going on here is they're saying to Jesus, we want to spend time with you. We want to know you more, Rabbi. Think about it. They've been with John, who says Messiah's coming. They've heard again and again, behold, the Lamb of God. They know this Messiah is coming. Now he's saying, as they're walking by, behold, the Lamb of God. They're like, we want to know more. And Jesus says, what do you seek? Their answer, submission in what they call him. They desire to know him more, to spend more time with him. And in that moment, Jesus is all they're seeking. In that moment, Jesus is enough. That's a question we've been pondering. And here's an example where Jesus is enough. What about you? What do you seek? Well, I really need the, well, I just want to, can we get to a place when you hear the question, what do you seek? We just say, Master, Father, King Jesus, to know you more, to be in your presence. Because Jesus is enough. And how does he respond to their question, where are you staying? Verse 39, he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Again, we get the parenthesis. What's going on there? He's saying, okay, Gentiles, people who aren't Hebrew who are reading this aren't going to know what time it is. The 10th hour is 4 p.m. because Jewish culture starts the day at 6 a.m. So it's about 4 p.m. when they're with him. And there's two disciples present. Now we knew last week when we looked at that, that verse 40 is going to tell us one is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Who is the second person that's present? Well, the detail of the timing with those parentheses of the exact time shows the author this is an important time. You, you remember the specific hour when it's really important and you're present. So this is one of the reasons and because the author of this gospel, as we mentioned in the intro, never fully says it's me, John. Many theologians, I personally believe that that is John that's present at that moment. So it's John and Andrew. Again, he turns to these two and he says, come and see. Come and see. Jesus invites them to spend time with him. Jesus invites them to be with him. 
When we shift our what do you seek to Christ alone, guess what? He invites us to dwell with him. Because it's, I'm just seeking you. Okay, come. So think about the times you might hear, I feel like I just don't know how to be with Jesus. Or I feel like I can't ever really get to know Jesus. Or how do you even know Jesus is real? These are sentiments pervasive in our culture because we've got topical sermons, zillions of self-help books, influencers, Christian culture icons that become idols above God. And still the word of God's just there waiting. It's that Bible sitting on the bookshelf waiting. If it could speak, it's like, come and see. Open me up. Come and see. Come and see. John called him the Lamb of God. They wanted to learn more about that. We as a church, we know and we talk about Jesus as King of the world. Jesus is Messiah. Do you want to learn about it? Read his word. Open up the word of God. I'm not knocking other things that are out there or books or podcasts or this or that, but just read the word. You will get to know him. I know I keep saying it, and I'm probably going to be a broken record forever. His word, his spirit, his way. His word, his spirit, his way. His word. The first part of that, we truly need to make that the anchor for our lives, for this church, for the women, the theme, watered women, being watered in the word. Men, we're going to be looking at the same thing, making sure the word of God is the anchor and root in our lives. Youth group, last year and a half as we're going through Mark, what has been the urgency that we've had? The word of God being there. What do you seek? Stop seeking the world. Stop seeking things that leave you empty. Come and see. Open the Bible. Open his word. Commune with him. Be with him. For guess what? He's still saying today, come and see. Look at what the pattern was. They hear Jesus spoken about. Jesus is in their presence. They walk after him. He turns. He says, what do you seek? Submission in the answer of Rabbi. Where are you staying? We want to spend time with you. And he says, as the ultimate teacher, come and see. Now, knowing that Jesus still says, come and see, today, have you taken him up on that invitation? Truly, do you read his word? Is his word an anchor that you stay in his presence. Men, my fellow brothers, do you bring your brides and your families to the home of Jesus within your homes? What do I mean by that? When was the last time and what was the last scripture you brought and led your bride and family to study and read? I'm not saying it needs to be a long study, but men in this room, when was the last time and what was it? If I asked you right now, give me the date, the time, the verse that you brought to your bride or to your family. Why am I saying that? Men, we need to be the leaders. We're called to be leaders. We need to lead our families. We need to lead God's daughters. This is a privilege and an honor. Cut the excuses and stop having women be the ones carrying the heavy charge of this. And they're the ones saying, hey, babe, can we pray? Hey, babe, can we do this? Can we do that? Men, bring the word to your brides. I got to do better with it. We got to refine each other with this. It's our call for him, the flickering light, saying, yes, bring the word to your brides. Now, for sing, oh, it's a disco show. Now, the thing here for, for single parents, for folks where you're doing it alone or it's a harder situation, guess what? It's still on you to bring the word. And God, as the father, 
will meet and be there and do it. And I want to point, it's not saying you've got to do hours on end. Our family's working through Genesis, and sometimes I'm just like, okay, we're just going to do one verse. And Baldrick gives us that attention for that one verse. It's a good time, but guess what? When we do that one verse, we as the adults glean even more because we're astonished what's in there. So Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, a charge. Men, step up your game and feed your families the word of God. Got it? Youth. Love you, youth. Y'all are on your own journey. And we saw something special in John 1, chapter 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All to say, youth, no one can do it for you. You've got to do it yourself. So when you're sitting thinking, well, I don't really think any of this is true. I don't really think God is real. I don't really know. Because like, if you look at this, these people follow this and these people have that challenge. He says, come and see. Open your Bible and read it for yourself. Commune with him. Get in his word. Saints, part of the issue with come and see in 2023 is that we're embedded in activities. We're embedded in the hustle of bustle of chasing the dollar and our connection of God is placed into these simple little phrases, short quotes, an illusion that we're communing with God, but we neglect ever truly being with our King. Yet Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. Jesus born to die is saying, come and see. Turn with me to James chapter 4. Verse 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us, dwells in us, yearns jealously. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, always when you see a therefore, go to what's before it. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Love verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you devil-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. What do you seek? That's the question to ask ourselves and realize, again, it's about him. It's about submission to him. It's about resisting those things that don't glorify him, that aren't of him. It's even about sometimes resisting that Christian influencer who you love because look at what they say and God told them so many things. They ain't even reading the Bible. Yet God told them. So the reality, we need to search our hearts. We need to be diligent about this, saints. Now the next answer that we see of this, this is exciting. Verse 40. One of the two had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So we know again, this is Andrew. We discussed already where he's coming from. It's Simon Peter's brother. And we hear so much about Peter in this journey. We know Peter. Youth group, you know Peter well and you better remember from Mark. But we know Peter well. And with Andrew, 
we sometimes neglect to look at Andrew or think about him. Seed I'm going to plant, Andrew should light a fire of evangelism in your heart. Why? Look at verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So again, we see the parenthesis he's giving here. Messiah, Mashiach is right there and he's saying this is translated Christ. But what does he do first? The very first thing Andrew does after meeting and knowing Jesus for himself is go to his brother and say, dude, we found the Messiah. He's here. We got him. Andrew goes. Andrew meets him face to face. First thing he does is goes to his brother. Now, the two other mentions we're going to see about Andrew in this gospel will be chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and chapter 12, verses 20 to 22. And guess what he's doing there? Bringing people to Jesus. He meets the king, and he stays on the call that we all have of being an ambassador for the ministry of reconciliation. How are you doing on that call? Now, culturally, the Jews at this time, they were seeking Messiah to come and deliver them, establish a different kingdom because they didn't want to be under Rome. They wanted political freedom. But we know in the fulfillment of prophecy, when we look at Isaiah 53, Jesus' fulfillment is being that suffering sacrifice. In Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, through King Jesus, we see the kingdom that is built is the eternal kingdom. This Messiah Andrew has met the first thing he does is goes and tells his brother. Think about when we come to know Jesus, what happens through the word of God? The word does what it's intended to do. And the Holy Spirit lights that fire of evangelism and we want to share and we want our loved ones to know who Jesus is. Why? Because we have now gotten the gift of eternal salvation and we know the reality of the duality. If your name is in the book of life, you're good to go. But if your name isn't in the book of life, You're in the lake of fire forever. We don't want to see them suffer that way. So what do we do? We share. We witness. We tell them, guess what? I just met Jesus. Now here's something we also need to realize, though. We see for Andrew, it's success. Great success. And that's a beautiful thing. But there's things that we have to ponder in light of what he does. One, who is a Peter that you need to be an Andrew for in your life? Because think of all Peter does. Sometimes, especially, I'm sorry to keep knocking social media all the time, but it's a big bugaboo. It's all about me, 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 me. Let me build myself up. How many followers can I get? How many likes can I get? How many, how many? Me, 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 me. And in that, we forget it's about God. We forget that it's about Christ. And in the sharing, it becomes more about sharing me than him. So when we go to loved ones, who do we share? Jesus. Who do we tell them about? Jesus. Christ alone. But we got to also understand something with it. Sometimes sharing with family is challenging. It is hard. Okay, youth, I know we've had talks before about what it's like to be a believer and to try to share with your peers. Hard. What is it like to go to a relative and share and say, I want to tell you about Jesus? And they're like, I knew you. Like, no, no, I don't want to hear about this. Our world rejects Christ. We looked at Psalm 6 Wednesday and we saw, and it was that reminder, we don't, I believe, we don't have the mental health crisis. We have the no, N-O, Jesus crisis going on right now where we're just saying no to him. Christ is rejected. 
So guess what? That means the people you're going to bring him to may reject him. Guess what? That means you might go to that family member. I want to tell you about Jesus. I just got saved. And they're like, are you crazy? I remember when I first got saved, very interesting reactions from some family members. Grew up Catholic. And my mother, we only Catholic. I don't want to hear this, this thing. Stop. Didn't want to hear it. And the college I was at, extremely liberal college that makes what's going on in our world today look conservative. I was brought into a meeting with administration because they thought I was having a psychotic breakdown. <laughs> so the reality is, from experience, we see it's going to be hard. But also, our Savior gives us comfort to know, hey, it's going to be hard. Mark 6, 4 through 6. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Wasn't received. Not happening. No belief there. John 7, 1 through 5. We're going to study it in a few weeks Eventually, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, a glimmer of hope, one thing we know it's going to be challenging. We just looked a few verse references back to James. Half-brother, didn't believe. Resurrection, came to belief. So there is that hope, but what does it mean for us? It means we don't give up on our family members that don't know Christ. Keep praying for them. Even when you don't want to pray, pray. And think of what we've studied in Psalms with prayer, that groaning, that might be your prayer. The Lord knows the heart. He doesn't need all the fancy, eloquent words. It may just be a groan, and he knows you're thinking of Aunt Susie and praying for her and for her salvation. And we need to be discerning prayerfully the open doors that God opens to share. Think about the Church of Philadelphia, the doors that he opens and that's a tricky one because it's not the doors that we open. Guilty is charged where it's like, oh, this is, you're like, you're telling me about what's going on in your life. There's so much sin. This is the perfect time to get you right with Christ. No. Pray, is this the time, Lord? Is this the window that you want me to share about you? And keep praying that they one day come to say, I have found the Messiah. Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. So what does he do? He takes Simon Peter to Jesus. So first he goes to him. He says, we found the Messiah. And then he takes him to that. So question for you. When you're telling people about Jesus, when was the last time you took them to Jesus? How can I put them to Jesus? Put the word of God in front of them. The word, in the beginning was the word. These are all the words of our king. Put the word of God in front of them. I say it, I'll say it again. Get out of the way. Don't be in the way. Let the word of God do what it does. Let it bring the conviction about. Remember what John the Baptist said. I am not the Christ. Our job is to point people to Jesus. 
we sit and wonder sometimes why the greater church is struggling. Why amongst professing believers we're not seeing more being done. I personally believe because the church has become a vessel to just to do what culture does. And we give self-help, we give topics, you don't hear about conviction, we don't have to worry about you feeling anything uncomfortable, you get to ride your emotions, you get to do whatever you want, you get to say, God's telling you this, Holy Spirit's telling you this, you do your own thing, and you never read this book on your own or from the pulpit. And we wonder why. Love our body, we are rooted in the word of God alone, and when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing, put the word of God Write that card with scripture and let the word do what it does. So he says, he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Again, the title of today's message, to follow. To follow here, as we're seeing this following going, it's Christ alone. It's no man, it's nothing else. John the Baptist, the man that they were following, the second Jesus comes, what does he do? Points them to Jesus. That's it. And then we have come and see, and they remain with him. Remain. To follow Christ, to be his disciple, means you need to seek to be in his presence and learning from him 24-7 for life. There's no off to following Jesus. There's no break to following Jesus. It's total surrender. It's being who Christ calls you to be. It's being his child and realizing he's the dad, he calls the shots. It's being his bondservant. He's the king, he calls the shots. And now Jesus looks at Simon and what does he do when he looks at him? He says, you shall be called Cephas. Again, the translation given to us so that all would believe, which is translated a stone. This gives deep meaning to Psalm 139 when we see, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Because he's coming and he's saying, you're going to be a stone. I'm giving you this new name. You shall be called Cephas, a stone. Because when we come to Christ, this is the work that he does. Now, culturally, the names for Jewish culture had importance. They had significance. The name of a person would point to or it would unveil a piece or a part of their character. Genesis 25, 26. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Again, the name pointing to the character. And within the Old Testament, and as Jesus and his disciples go on, we see instances where a new name is given by God. It's showing God's authority over the person. Think about Abram. Genesis 17.5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And the moment Jesus is placing and showing authority in this moment we see here over Simon in a new name, a stone, a special calling. As we see in Matthew 16.18, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it. A powerful moment. But also to realize, we know Peter. You think of Mark, what we saw in Peter. Eager Peter. Ready to go Peter. Ready to fight Peter. Denying Peter. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen at the blink of an eye. It takes time. 
It takes refining. It takes sanctification, that journey, for him to be the rock. What does it mean for you and me? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. At salvation, we're new. We know our first thing is I'm a new creation in Christ. And as that, I'm a believer. I'm a bondservant. I'm his. Then we know Luke 9.23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That daily... He puts daily in there because it has to be surrender to be his new creation. In John 1, we saw we become children of God. Our newness is an identity in Christ. I am not the Christ, but I am his bondservant. Remember when we saw how John the Baptist answered, who are you? See how it all weaves together everything that we're looking at. So that said... This also means we need to be weary where we seek identity because the world tries to give us our identity. The world will try to put labels on and things on and reposts and all these hashtags and things. But again, where is your identity always rooted and found? It needs to be in Christ alone. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, we're going to look more at that next week because when we go through Scripture and look at the whole council, it's going to be clear Jesus has met these gents when he's heading to Philip. He's seen them before. This is now the moment of invitation where he's saying, follow me. Two easy words, follow me. And we all want to follow. Two easy words, but guess what? Challenging to fulfill. Truly challenging to fulfill. Because we all want to follow Jesus, but being his disciple ain't free. What? Salvation's a gift. It's free. Yes, salvation is free. I will always say salvation is free. But discipleship is a journey after salvation, and it's costly. It's surrender. It's denying self. Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is hatred by comparison. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first, uh, sorry, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Bearing our cross is crushing our will. It's giving our will to him. It's laying down our life. The hatred of comparison is showing the depth of what is needed to be his disciple. We didn't sing it today, but it's that song we sing, I Surrender. I love that song. Because from that gift of salvation, we need to be continually in surrender. We need to be continually letting the word be the anchor. Because to be his disciple, to follow 
Your will, gone. Not my will, but your will be done. Discipleship means that there's certain things that the world does a certain way that you as a disciple of Christ say no way. And you just stop and you don't go there. Discipleship means you live, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, notice how you do it, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And here's that again, surrender. And do not be conformed to this world. How do I not conform to the world? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the word that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word is the anchor. Then you can do what we see in Hebrews where we are told to lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us because we look to the author and finisher because we're focused on Christ alone. Now for Peter, Philip, and Andrew, they didn't have what we do. We have the whole counsel of the word of God. So we get a little more wisdom about how to do this surrender. We get a little bit more wisdom on how to be somebody that says, I'm a follower of Christ. Because to follow, we anchor in this more and more. And as we anchor in this, his spirit empowers us with his word. And he gives us the power to do what he calls us to. So the charge for this week, one, ponder. What do you seek How do you answer that? What do you truly seek most in your life? Take it to the Lord, shift priorities. Two, come and see. Dwell in his word more. Dwell in his presence more. Don't be on autopilot. Everyone this week, when you go home after this, take your little devices, and I want you to check your screen time usage. This is a fun game. I didn't like doing it. Check your screen time usage and see how much time you spend on social media, on news articles, on all of these things and wonder maybe if there can be some things cut so you can come and see, so you can truly be in his presence more. Because when we actually take stock of our time, suddenly the, I don't have, well, you don't know how busy my life is. I have a big family. I have this. I have that. Those are excuses. Knock it off. Look at the screen time. Look at what, how are you using your time? Take stock and then come and see. Dwell in his presence. And after you've come and seen him, guess what? Share and talk about him. Do what Andrew does. Go say, I just spent time with the king. Let me tell you about what I learned. Do that. Lastly, what kind of disciple are you? Where do you need to surrender? Where do you need to surrender? I interrogated that prayerfully this week. Go there. What do you need to lay down and give up to be closer to Christ and closer to who he wants you to be? Is the thing that you're doing really you're willing it or is it truly God's will? Is it making you a better disciple for him? Now, today we have a special day. It's communion. And we get to remember the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We get to come to the table in remembrance of his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us, that we can have the gift of salvation. We get to ponder the fact that Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself, that we avoid it, we have salvation, we have mercy, 
And we get the gift of it all, grace. If my lovely bride can come up here, because we're going to play a song together. The table is open for all who know Jesus as King of Kings and have believed, received, and become children of God. Now, if that isn't you, wait, ponder, pray. Let's talk after this. Now, if it is you, something I'm going to continually be reminding us, don't rush to the table. Don't go on autopilot. I promise you the lasagna will still be there if you just take that time. What do I mean? This is a holy place to be and commune with God. Go before him before you come to the table. If you have a wrong, repent. If you need to be refreshed and cleansed by him, go to him to do that. If you need to have a quick word with a family member, with somebody, do it. Allow his cleansing so that before you come to that table, you truly remember you're in the beginning with the King of Kings. You truly remember this gift he gave us. So the table's going to be open, but I ask you, only come for those who are children of God. Only come after you've taken the time to truly remember him. Remember his sacrifice. Remember what he's done and what he is doing for you. So that when you take the bread, when you take the cup, you can truly do it in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the chance to strive to follow you, to be your disciples. Lord, help each and every single one of us to grow closer to you, to be who you need us to be for your glory and yours alone. Heavenly Father, it is such a gift you've given us. Thank you, Jesus, that you took that moment. You've been with God from the beginning and you took that moment forsaken by him that we could be in the book of life. And Lord, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know you that perhaps they come to surrender, Lord, and they say, take the wheel. I need you to be my king. I'm depraved. I'm a sinner. I can't do this. I need you. And they come to the table today for the first time as a child of God. Lord, I do just pray each and every single one of us takes that moment to remember you and receive the blessing of knowing you are king, you're in control, your word is a lamp and light for us, and your spirit dwells in us. Thank you, Father. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.